Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. There we go. All right. Hello, loves. Welcome to the next episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How are you today? Welcome to this beautiful day. Um, today, I've got my dear friend, Veronica Corpus, who is my fantastic poet, sister, everything. Um, and we're just going to have a little conversation about how poetry uh, is in our lives, how we use that as a way into spirituality or just connecting with our deeper selves. Um, but first, I like to open the episode like I do with all of them, uh, open it with a poem by Hafez, the Sufi mystic poet, and this is called, Where is the Door to the Tavern? Where is the door to God? In the sound of a barking dog, in the ring of a hammer, in a drop of rain, in the face of everyone I see. I'll read that again. Where is the door to the tavern? Where is the door to God? In the sound of a barking dog, in the ring of a hammer, in a drop of rain, in the face of everyone I see. Hmm. And so, my friend, where is the door to your tavern? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, So I just wanted to think about that, uh, that poem for a minute and thinking about where the door to God is, because a lot of people move through the world um, kind of aimlessly, you know, not really knowing where they're going or sometimes they're seeking something. Um, and often it's just in the simple things that are right in front of our face. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, if lately you've seen any doors to God in your life? Hmm. Doors to God. That's a beautiful poem. And thank you for sharing it because um, I had not heard it before, but the concepts are something that I've been developing in a daily practice, like in, in the moment by moment practice. And so it is in almost every interaction and every moment of being very present, being very much aware of the sacredness of life and being here, this precious gift uh, that I find those doors and I, I seek to continually open them and open myself up to what is here now and alive in, in every moment. And so I think about it when I'm walking down the streets and, and I used to walk in this way that it was like head down pavement. I'm walking, I've got my running list in my head. Where do I need to go? What time, who am I going to talk to? How am I going to, you know, what, what items do I have to cover in a conversation? And I wouldn't be looking up. And I wouldn't look into the faces of people I would be passing. And 
And so I think it might have been a, a time when I was reading, you know, Pema Chodron or, or um, something about seeing the Buddha in everyone. And you can replace that with Jesus, mm. you can replace it with God. And, and at any moment in time, there's that light available and present within each of us. And so I would then walk down the street and then everyone I would pass, it was Buddha, 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 Buddha. And I still do it now when I would look at, look, look at someone in, in the eye. And I think what I'm observing in today's kind of culture and society is this kind of looking into a screen, looking into a phone, very much an inward looking, but and if there's an outward look, it's looking into a camera, looking into something that's going to kind of present my persona into the universe, into the world, into the internet. But looking into the eyes of someone and to hold that gaze and to really listen fully in an embodied way and to talk to them um, is that door, is that door to God. And... I, I just try to practice that all the time, even when the person might be someone who's being a real jerk to me at the store or who doesn't you know, want to engage or even on the phone, if I call customer service, you know, there's still yeah. God on the other end, you know? <laughs> even, even as I'm waiting for 30 minutes. That's a hard practice, though. I mean, especially you know the person who's not nice to you. So how do you how do you get there? Mm. Well, definitely taking a breath or two helps before engaging because um, it's very hard. It's very easy to get caught up into a narrative that someone else is spinning, especially if it's a narrative of ne- negativity, complaints. Um, just just low frequency kind of could be selfishness it could be just you know but they could be suffering inside and so always kind of reminding myself that we are never fully aware of what the other person is experiencing and maybe suffering silently that that's what compassion is is to bring to that moment true unconditional love of acceptance and um, entering into that encounter, not with my ego <laughs> that wants to right. kind of like put that person down or, you know, spin it out or, but to, to open myself up to really full love, full acceptance. Um, and it's very difficult. It's very difficult, especially in these, days and times of, you know, discourse of a widening gap of opinion and belief and, you know, what is best and what, what makes great, great. And, and we can, we can lose sight of the humanity in in each of us and the divinity as well. So it takes practice. It does. <laughs> it's not easy for sure. And courage. You know, when I think about the word courage, you know, the, the Latin root of cur, you know, heart. Mm. It is heart. 
and to be courageous enough to open your heart in its true vulnerability and truth that you, someone might want to smash it <laughs> and, and, right. and, and kind of squash it and rip it up. But that's the beauty of the unconditioned heart is that it is impervious to those assaults and, and runs a much deeper river than any of these kind of topical kind of very ego narcissistic narratives that yeah. just aren't, you know, aren't true. They're not, they're not useful, right? They're just yeah. functioning on the material level of being here and not really, um, seeing, like you said, the humanity in other people. It's all this ego of like, it's all about me or I'm always right and everybody's wrong. Um, when really it doesn't even matter if you're right or wrong. Right. It's just. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, there, I mean, there, there are certain kind of rights in, in knowing that you've hurt somebody and oh, are, yeah. your actions are definitely hurting someone or your words could be hurting somebody. Um, and so kind of following that compass of, you know, how can I present love in its most divine and pure sense possible? Yeah. Um, it's great to say it now as we're talking. Right, right. It's the heat of the moment is a different story. <laughs> when I'm with my children, and they keep kind of poking and prodding, you know, and teasing each other. Oh, um, yeah. How to bring that. You, right? Yeah. Like the, like the whining and the complaining and the... I want this. I want that. It's like, okay, let me look at the divine you right now. <laughs> I'm trying really hard to see it. That's when those breaths come in handy, those deep contemplative <laughs> breaths. And so actually I've taught my kids, you know, that if I'm not present and I'm not able to meet them um, in a, with equanimity and peace, but I'll go and I'll meditate and they'll be like, oh, mommy's meditating right now. <laughs> She's She's, she needs a moment. Um, and so giving them like that kind of knowledge and, and hopefully when they go into their encounters and interactions with other people, they'll recognize that moment of being like, this person needs space. Yeah. They might need to meditate. Yeah. Or, or they might need that space. Right. To meditate. And probably that's, that's more like it is, is developing that self-regulation to, call the moment to see it and to remove oneself in order to find that peace again. Yeah. And that's hard for, for kids to, um, to find. So that's why it's so, it's so good that you're presenting them that example. Um, and that it would be nice if other parents could practice that for themselves in order to also be examples for their kids. But I feel that, um, I don't know. There's this sort of, um, I don't want to say stigma, but I feel like there's a stigma attached to meditation where people are like, Oh, you got to be new agey. You've got to be like, you know, someone sitting on a cushion in a pristine room where there's nothing there, but a candle and maybe a statue of Buddha. I don't know. Um, some incense. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about the incense and the little bell. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, in yes. your car. It could be, you know, while driving, it could be while washing the dishes. And, and so to go back to that idea of the door, you know, every single moment of any activity is still a gift of presence and a gift of being. And so washing the dishes or, you know, driving is, is it, you know, you want to still be driving. Right. <laughs> you want to know where you're going. Yeah. And I think, you know, meditation, it's perceived as something that's, you know, you're spacing out or you're going, you're, you're kind of migrating into the, to the universe. <laughs> but you really, it's just, you're really being very present with whatever it is that you're doing. Right. In time. Right. Right. Um, which is funny because now I'm thinking, am I doing it wrong? <laughs> because you brought up washing dishes and the other, the other night, it was a few weeks ago. Um, everyone was like running late. They're doing homework late. It was, you know, super late. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to have them do the dishes because, you know, my kids, they take turns loading the dishwasher or whatever. I was like, you just got to get to bed. It's already after 11, just everyone go to bed. And so at, by that time it was, I want to say like 1115 and I was tired and I was like, Oh, I still have to load the dishwasher. Right. And, um, and then I, I caught myself and I was like, well, I can either be grumpy about it and think about how it's so late and I'm not going to get enough sleep and complain, 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 or I can make it into a meditation. So I was like, you know what, let me try this experiment and make it a meditation. I put on some nice um, music. I had this, um, this one Kundalini yoga song um, called long time sun, but it's in Spanish and it's this beautiful rendition by uh, Jai Jagdish. And, um, and I was doing the dishes and I felt like, oh, this is kind of nice. You know, I will say though, I wasn't being present with the dishes. <laughs> I was, I was more just like contemplating my day and mm-hmm. just being quiet and like noticing like how relaxed I was and listening to the song instead of like being all hunched over and grumpy. And, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that, um, idea of meditation being just presence, Mm -hmm. um, not having to, I mean, it is helpful or useful to sit alone in a room with a candle and some incense (laughs) to go deep within, but that's not the only way to meditate. So, no, yeah. I mean, I think the, the, um, and we've talked about this before. The other side of it is, you know, if, um, meditation is kind of the presence and listening prayer, then is the speaking to God and listening or meditating is kind of receiving what that presence of God might gift. Um, and, and so, yeah, you know, prayer and depending on your spiritual background doesn't have to be, you know, on a mat or in the church and on a pew and it could be anywhere. And, um, and so in thinking about poetry and writing, I, I often approach it like that. Like every moment, every poem is a prayer mm. that, you know, I prepare through first by meditating, by kind of centering myself and then listening to what might be coming up and, and then just being a tr- scribe, <laughs> writing it down. Oh, so good. 
And and so, you know, it's not by far, you know, perfect. It, it, it will vary from day to day and moment to moment. But when I remember <laughs> and I do kind of come to the mat or the cushion, sit, meditate, um, open myself up to what is that kind of greater mystery, I can then go into the work of writing and, and or editing and be fully as present as possible with the words, with the, with the images, with the moment. Um, mm. But yeah. That's so good. That's so good. I'm like, I'm going to steal that. Because <laughs> when I sit to write, I just sit down and write. I'm like, all right, I might light a candle, but I'm like, I just feel like writing and I'll just put pen to paper because I see that um, practice for me is already the meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I'll spend like a page of free writing and that's sort of the warm up to whatever is really coming through. Mm-hmm. But I might try your way of like, you know, sitting and getting quiet and grounding and centering and then and then moving to the page. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, when you, lot, there are a lot of different kind of texts out there, but a friend of mine, this photographer, Jeff Swenson, had um, gifted me this book, um, The War of Art. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a really it's a it's a real fun cool read but you know how to ritualize your practice in mm. a way you're you, it's like putting on your armor and and getting into the the war of <laughs> coming back day after day minute by minute to your art practice whatever it may be and um when that ritual is set it's in there in your bones then it can't be defeated, you know. Yeah, through yeah. self sabotage and all the other <laughs> ways that we do it, um, it's easy to come back to that structure. That's yeah, fine. that's good. I'm going to use that one too. Thank you. <laughs> so what um, what happens when you are writing poetry? Is that a portal for you to connect with uh, your deeper self? Is it um, a way for you to tap into like the larger energy of this existence? Like, what happens for you when you're writing poems? Uh, yeah, I think it is a portal to something much larger. When I, I use the word mystery, you know, it when we think of our world as very fixed in like, Yes, there's the concrete world, the material world. Um, it, it seems like that we're missing something. And for me, it is that greater divinity. And if you use the, the metaphor of science, you know, looking at atoms and <laughs> they're like, we've looked at atoms and atoms are even smaller and smaller. And it's, it's infinite how, how small and how large this universe is and so poetry you know for whatever reason (laughs) I was made to be a poet this is the way that I see and channel that that greater infinite largeness and and microcosm as well um and sometimes it is in this, this kind of realm of spirituality of 
a lot of my work is about grief and um, around loss of loved ones. And so these poems are almost in a way of how do I, I'm speaking to the dead or, or speaking to a memory or maybe they're speaking back to me. Um, and the other day I sat down and it just came to me like, boom, all of a sudden, and it wasn't even, you know, set writing time. I just was, I might've been doing the dishes. <laughs> and so I, I, uh, I, this poem came into my head, this line, you know, what people should know. And, and then I sat down and I wrote it really quickly. And in a way it felt like, um, my late niece was just like speaking through me mm. in this very deep way. And then afterwards I cried. I was just hadn't cried very hard and, and sobbed in a, in a long time. Um, but I did. And, and there kind of a piece came through after that. And, and so how, what happens for me in my writing is, is like a lot of healing. It's just this healing practice of allowing myself to feel deeply around a memory or around an idea, to be with it, to put it down on the page, um, and to keep coming back to it over and over um, through vision. And understanding it doesn't, it's not going to linger and stay forever, you know, that like whether these feelings, these big emotions, they do pass and they change. And, and for me, I'm just trying to capture that change into a poem, Mm. transform it into something that's hopefully artful and meaningful for a reader who may connect with that idea or that that story and not feel alone so mm. yeah I mean it sucks I'm like god really did I have to have be <laughs> did I have to be a poet did I have to kind of process my world in this particular way and it seems like I I do um and when I don't when I avoid it and I don't I'm not writing or I'm not you know living with those words and the stories, then that's actually when I find myself suffering more and getting mm. lost more and getting clouded over with the confusion and self-doubt and like, where do I need to go? What do I need to do right now? Um, because it's easy. It's really easy to be in a different space of um, confusion uh, and just this morning I was like, oh yeah, clarity. Clarity is what I'm seeking clarity and mm. thought, clarity and communication, um, not just in my poetry, but in, again, the everyday kind of moment to moment um, meeting and greeting of other humans. Yeah, but it, it sounds like the poetry, though, helps um, helps you to get to the clarity of the meeting and greeting it does yeah I mean I'm I feel very lucky very blessed to have known at a very early age that I wrote poems you know as soon as I learned how to write I was writing poems (laughs) you know it was like I sent my teacher one I'm like look you taught me how to write all these words and I put them together and they rhyme you know (laughs) (laughs) and then 
yeah, from that moment on, I, you know, I was journaling, I was always writing something down. Mm. Um, you know, if it wasn't dance was my other kind of art form is like, I was either dancing or I was writing and, and now I've kind of transitioned into more kind of visual art and taking writing into like a pictorial form, um, painting and writing. And so that has been really, I'm just blessed to, to know that because it's easy. You could go through life and, and the demands of everyday life and living, working, you could just not know what it is that brings you peace and what is that practice that allows you to be relaxed and open and um, joyful even even if you are suffering deeply that there's still these moments of joy to be experienced through the art making and through that practice yeah and and what's what's interesting is i feel that we're living in a time now where people are starting to um look for that to to care for that because i feel that i don't know maybe even just like 10 years ago people were just like you know i gotta work i gotta do this job i gotta make this money blah 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 um, and not really paying attention to, you know, what brings joy in my life. It's like, oh, that's just for storybooks or movies or whatever. Um, but I feel like now um, there's a lot more messaging. I mean, to use this word of like technology that we're living in, um, this messaging of inspirational quotes of like, you know, find your inner light or, um, you know, seek out joy or choose joy. And so, as there's more awareness that that's possible for everybody, I'm starting to see a trend of, of people seeking that out um, and trying different things. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And I think that for you, you're very fortunate to have come to you, the practices that you do have um, and then to recognize it for what it is, to, to say, you know, this is how I find my joy. This is how I connect with, um, with myself, with my place in the world, this is my purpose where someone who, you know, let's say another poet might just be like, well, I just write poems, you know, I make beautiful things and that's it. Um, and they, they leave that practice at the surface level. Um, and so I really appreciate how you are able to see your practice as something beyond the physical as something greater, but also something that serves, um, others which is so, um, so beautiful. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I, would, I think, um, that's my hope, you know, that's my prayer is that everyone has an opportunity to, to, to explore that and to find that for themselves. And it, it doesn't have to be art. I think, um, there's many, many different forms of art and to be artful, Really, I like to think of it as being, you know, as present as possible in whatever engagement activity that one may encounter and engage in. So that there's, you know, infinite. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you could be a really good sandwich maker, right? Yeah. And if it brings you joy, the sandwiches will be really 
fun and joyful for the person who consumes. <laughs> so delicious. It'll be so delicious. I mean, if you think about how, um, I don't know if you experience this, but if I'm in a bad mood and I'm making dinner, people in my family will be eating dinner like just like shoving it in their mouth. Like this is just mm-hmm. to survive, right? Mm-hmm. This is just so I can live. But if I'm really enjoying cooking or whatever I'm making, it'll be the, something that they've had before, right? But I'm just in a really good mood and they'll be, my kids will be eating it and they'll be like, mom, this is really good. And I'll be like, wait, but I've made this all the time. Why is this time like really good? They're like, I don't know. It just tastes really good. You know, it's because energetically I'm feeling, you know, pretty good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm sending that into the, into the food. So it is about presence and it is about, um, engagement. Yeah. And it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter what form it takes. Yeah. I think, um, you really did touch on something really, I think kind of present in the world today about nourishing the self. And I think self care gets bad rap, you know, yeah. like that's, that thing that privileged people do when they go get massages and manicures or whatever, Pilates. Um, But it, it, it can be really anything. And I think when I think about self care, um, I think about breath, these really simple things that everyone has access to, you know, stillness, breath, um, and really going into deep repose, um, for the sake of restoration and health and, um, peace Mm -hmm. and to be able to access peace wherever, you know, whenever, um, because it is that peace that I can bring or anyone can bring to the moment just like the food that you make that's infused with love, you know, when you infuse yourself with peace, you can bring that out into the world and, and it can, it can engender every other moment, you know, yeah, for everyone, everyone else. And so I'm grateful that people are <laughs> getting a little more in touch with, you know, that, that the spiritual um, health, and, yeah. and just this morning, I, my boys, we were sitting at the breakfast table and, and I was like, oh, we have a, a moment to pray. Let's pray. You know, I just said a kind of a standard prayer for repast. And then, <laughs> and Nico said, you know, oh, and, you know, may, ever, may we be healthy in mind and body today. And I said, mm-hmm. I said in spirit too. And I think it's often forgotten that spiritual health and nourishment is really as necessary as food and air and clean water and air. You know, we, we need those for our physical well-being, but um, our spiritual well-being, I think, is just as necessary. And when it is assaulted and, and kind of taken out of us, that those are the moments that are are dark and bleak and and hopeless. So how how do we nourish that for ourselves? And, and as we spoke about earlier, nourishing our children and how how to teach them to find those moments of self nourishment um, are really critical. I think 
in this day and age where the material world of kind of swiping and scrolling and looking for the next thing to buy or next photo to take, you know, where we can lose sight of our spiritual health is, um, yeah, I think a big concern. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Everything that you said, I was like, yes, totally. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and so for spiritual health, for those that who are listening, who don't have, let's say a meditative practice, is there any, you know, tips or recommendations that you can give listeners that they can just incorporate now? Mm. I mean, you, you mentioned breath, you know, but what, what does that look like for you and what can it look like for others who are not, you know, who may, might just be starting this journey of, of spiritual health and self-care? Um, a real simple um, practice that was taught to me by um, Gabriella Corcus, who is here in Pittsburgh and just a really amazing um, somatic practitioner and um, spiritual being who I've learned a lot from. Um, and really, she kind of taught me how to breathe again because I, I, you know, I thought, oh, I, I know how to breathe. Everyone knows how to breathe. <laughs> everyone does actually intuitively, <laughs> beautifully know how to breathe without thinking about it. <laughs> But um, how to breathe in uh, repose uh, for healing is a different thing. And it can be something as simple as before you get out of bed and um, just lying down in the bed to before you, you don't even have to open your eyes necessarily, um, to just kind of relax all the muscles in your body and to kind of breathe slowly and just naturally at first I think when and this was what happened to me when I overthought I'm, I can overthink a million things <laughs> very quickly um, and that caused a little bit of panic and anxiety um, because I, my body wasn't used to being just relaxed I was in kind of a hyper arousal all the time um, which I think is it, it can be, it can just definitely lead to chronic illness when you're in this kind of like flight or fight uh, response. You're, this, the body just is, is constantly feels like it's on attack to relax um, deeply and to just, just give yourself a few deep cleansing breaths um, is a nice way to kind of start it. And then, um, the next step would be to observe, <laughs> observe the stories that are going on. You know, they're constantly, the nature of mind is to be mind and to think. And it's not about emptying your head of all thought. It's actually to be um, just the gentle observer of those thoughts and to see them and to say, oh, okay. And so there's another voice in there <laughs> that's that divine voice of, peace and non-judgment that you can you'll start to hear a little more of it's that inner voice you know ever since you're a kid you know you have that inner voice of like right or wrong and not the scolding voice or the complaining voice or the you know whiny voice but the, that calm voice of 
love. And so to be so quiet and still that you can hear it um, and then cultivating that relationship with it in these moments, whether, so then you get up and you get on with your day and maybe you're in your car next or you're on the bus or you're walking um, kind of taking those breaths, being attention to paying attention to the breath, then paying attention to the minor small details around you. And you'll see in your vision, the kind of band of vision that expands and can contract around that presence is an interesting thing that I've been observing and playing with lately. But to be kind and gentle with yourself is really, I think the, the first practice and not be like, Oh, I'm not, I'm doing it wrong. Or what, what, what was that again? It's just try being still body, still mind quiet. And, uh, and if it doesn't happen, it's okay. It's the it fact that you're trying, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's why it's called a practice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't go straight to Carnegie Hall, you know, we're like, I don't know about you, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, that's where I'm going right now. Yeah. I just right picked up the kazoo oh. for the first time. I'm going to Carnegie Hall right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, this has been such a great conversation. Um, it's what I what I loved about um, some of the things you talked about were how seamlessly uh, the practice of poetry and spirituality come together for you, um, and how that actually is accessible for everybody. Not necessarily the practice of poetry, but this idea of spiritual health, um, and it's available in just being still, even if it's for 30 seconds, you know, I mean, some people are like 30 seconds, no big deal. But then when you're still for 30 seconds, it might seem like forever. Mm. Um, but I thought, I thought the way, um, you hold your, um, beingness, your presence of here and now is really beautiful where, um, it gives you an opportunity to be fully you to be the example um, that you talked about for your kids and an example for other people who are around you to, to model. Um, because the people who are seeking things like, you know, the stillness or the quiet, I think can walk away with um, this idea of it's possible for me to, you know? Um, and so I thank you for your fantastic conversation and all the things that you offered here today um i'm just so glad that you're you're my friend and that you're like my very first guest on this podcast yeah thank you thank you for the the space and time to talk about what i find to be one of the most important things in my life and to share that with you and your listeners uh, it's been a blessing and uh just a wonderful way to start the day. So thank you. Thank you. And so my listeners, like we do every end of our episode, the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. When's the last time you took a deep breath or simply sat down to be with yourself? Are you longing to strengthen that connection to your deepest self, to your authentic truths? 
I invite you to retreat with me on August 5th to the 9th to the serene setting of wine country in Sonoma County, California, where you can get quiet and reconnect with yourself, where you can tune in to your intuitive voice, where the sun can nourish your soul and the earth grounds you into your body. This is an opportunity to realign with your true life's purpose, to remember who you are, to come home to yourself. Visit leslieannhobayanyoga.com slash retreats for more information. Live your best life now.